Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Soulful Veda Show. It is your co-host, Angelica here. And if you're new, welcome to our space. We are Soulful Veda, an Ayurvedic brand that empowers others to heal themselves. With my business partner and co-founder, Rachel Jeffries, we lead this dynamic community through the ancient wisdom of the Vedas. We use Ayurveda and Vedic astrology and yoga to strengthen your intuition, what you already know about your body. It just gives you an intuitive template to get there. So we are so excited that you're here on your health journey. And before we get into today's episode, I always like to give an energy update. So we had our full moon in Cancer that was on Monday. And whoa, uh, personally, I felt a lot of emotions. And of course, this is always going to be individualized to your chart too. So personally, my son is in Cancer. So I really felt this emotional waves of energy on that day. And also celestially, what's happening is Mercury and Venus are both in retrograde. So I've been talking about this Venus in retrograde in past podcasts. Venus represents our connection to our pleasure, our sensuality, and our relationships. So this is a time to review those. Their universe also may be sending you ways to look back on what needs to be healed in relationships and showing you in certain ways. So retrogrades are, of course, a time where it feels annoying. And that's because we have to slow down and review how we have acted or made certain choices in the past and kind of do that cleanup work. Okay, what are some of the things that I wasn't really seeing in this relationship that now it's coming up again and how I have to speak my mind and say something? So with Mercury and retrograde as well, we can think of the same idea of cleanup, but under the realm of communication. So where have I not clearly communicated how I felt and what I believed in to others? And how is this coming up again? And now it's the time where I can really start to speak my truth in that way. And that's, of course, just a really specific example. But it's really important that you reflect during these times, because when you declutter during these times in these phases of the planets going in retrograde, you begin to create space. This is essential for manifestation, right? Manifestation is creation. Nothing is going to become into fruition if it doesn't have space to. So retrogrades are perfect. They're a time to clean up. You may have noticed you are cleaning out your closet. I know I did last Sunday, clean out my closet and my bathroom. And oh my goodness, it just feels so good. Like a whole weight is being lifted. So if you're already doing that intuitively, amazing. If this is news to you, amazing. We have supportive tools in our membership called the Lightworker Society. And you can sign up with the link in the bio if you are feeling less energy around this time right now. Now, when do these retrogrades end? Well, Venus in retrograde ends January 29th. And Mercury in retrograde ends February 3rd, which is exactly the day where we start our Divine Feminine Ayurveda program. Oh my goodness, we are so excited for this program. It is everything that we love to do and bring to our community. So this is a six-month educational and self-healing program to learn Ayurveda, yoga, and Vedic astrology to heal yourself, but also learn how to heal others. Now, we're calling it the Divine Feminine Ayurveda program for a reason, because we teach the Divine Feminine form of Ayurveda, which is really specific. 
you know, when Rachel and I first learned Ayurveda, we learned in more of a masculine and structured way, and it totally served us and we loved it. But along our journey with finding Ayurveda, we realized that it wasn't learning the rules of you should eat this or you shouldn't eat that or yes to this, but no to that, that was helping our healing journey. It was actually, how can I tune into my body, listen to what my intuition is saying, and then make choices from that place, and then validate that through Mother Ayurveda and what the structure says. That has been the most healing part of our journey. So we that is the fulcrum of this program, is teaching you how to trust your intuition as queen or king, and using that as your golden compass to understand these ancient wisdoms that are so intuitive by nature. It just, it's all in alignment. So in this program, each month we dive into a different topic. Some of these topics will include changing our relationship to our food. We start with an Ayurvedic cleanse. That's part of that decluttering process of being able to reconnect your mind and body and soul from that clear state. We talk about our relationship to movement. How can we create morning routines that follow the rhythms of Ayurveda and these ancient techniques? Learning to align with the moon cycles, diving into what our doshas are. We do boundary work and shadow work, building a meditation practice, yoga nidra, Vedic astrology, spiritual practices, mantra, breath work, everything is included in this program. And beyond excited for it to begin. So if you're like, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to learn Ayurveda. I really want to also self-heal my mind, body, and soul. Is this a program for me? Click the link in the show notes where you can apply for our program. And from there, you get a link to a free consult where we talk about, are we a good fit for each other? Is this the right match for you? We know a lot of other Ayurveda programs and we can speak on them so clearly and truly want each and every one of you to find the program that is the best match for you. So only a week or so left to apply. You can find the link in the show notes and we cannot wait to be working with you in this way. Okay, so now into today's episode. Oh, the lovely Nidhi Pandya. We absolutely love her. She is a third generation Ayurvedic practitioner. We have had her on the podcast before, just a wealth of knowledge. If you don't already follow her on Instagram, please do. You'll find that link in the show notes as well. She gives such good, valuable information in Ayurveda. And I really love that we dove into this topic of fertility and libido and what that means under the lens of Ayurveda. So many women, pretty much majority of the people that we see to heal are women and are looking to heal from either infertility or female reproductive issues like PCOS, endometriosis, amenorrhea, all of that. This is a really hot topic. And so we dive into specifically fertility and libido because Ayurveda really sees that as a commonality in women and how it's connected. So in this episode, we talk about what that means in our physiological system and what happens with infertility under the Ayurveda lens. Then we go into mentally and emotionally what's happening because Ayurveda, it's a holistic science. We talk about the physical body, but also the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual body. And We also talk about why women are so attracted to the moon and what intuitive tools you can use right now. So 
You know, Rachel and I are all about practicality and that's also why we love Nidhi because she's so practical. So we really give you some takeaway lifestyle practices and spiritual practices that you can start using right now to connect to your and connect to yourself, connect to your moon cycle and start the healing process. And finally, we go into how sex is related to infertility. I really liked having this conversation. I think that sometimes sex can be a topic that we stray away from. And a lot of us women have certain traumas talking about it. So we really dive into what this sexual energy means. It's something that's kind of been taboo in this whole world of the Vedic sciences and Hearing us Ayurvedic practitioners talk about the reality of sex and how we use it in our world today and how this is affecting our imbalances, I think it's going to be really wide opening and probably not what you're initially thinking this conversation is going to be about. So I'm so excited for you to get into this episode. If you love this episode, please share it with a friend or family member and we would absolutely adore it if you commented, rated, and reviewed on Apple Podcasts. All right, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Soulful Veda's podcast. We are Ayurvedic health coaches that heal imbalances in the mind, body, and spirit. We are here to guide you on your healing journey with soulful wisdom and higher intuition. You are your best healer, and your moment to connect your highest self is now. Welcome back to the podcast, Nidhi. We are so excited to dive into this topic. I think it's something that's really top of mind for a lot of women, and especially since majority of our communities are women, um, they'll extract a lot from this conversation. So my first question is, how does Ayurveda interpret libido and sexual energy? Libido and sexual energy. I just said libido. (laughs) (laughs) I do that all the time on accident. just like rolls off the tongue that way. (laughs) You're so glad to be here. It's always such a pleasure chatting with you girls, but of course, now the understanding of libido has evolved over the, the times that the texts were written, right? So initially, libido was, there was no mention in the first, the first three ancient texts of libido for women. But they then, but they did mention libido for men. And they said how it was such an important function of health. At the same time, They talked about libido in different seasons, how that was to be honored. Uh, Libido comes from the health of all tissues, comes down to the last tissue, the shukradhatu or the reproductive tissue, which is really nourished when everything else is nourished. It's a great indicator for health. It's an important function of life. Um, And of course, we can go into little details and aspects of those. However, when the later Sahitas was written for, or the later scriptures were written, for example, there's a, there's a Yoganda Ratnakar that brings to life libido or fertility, conception, all of this for women. What has taken my interest over the last few years, last couple of years more so, is understanding how libido relates to health in female bodies, right? And while it was really not much touched upon, what Ayurveda does provide you, right? So before the scriptures even start talking about anything, they give you four tools, tools that can be used to create new information, to understand the world around you, right? So for example, how can you make the inferences? 
that's a tool that how you take information from this part of the text and that part of the text and how you use them together to come up with a theory. So what the text has allowed you to do is that as time progresses and human beings evolve as we do as a species, you're able to take the same principles and then make new conclusions, right? Find new applications. So when I looked at it that way, what really struck me was that how a libido for, you know, like a woman's libido is really firstly not talked about in some cultures, even looked down upon, but is a real indicator of her health and her fertility, right? Um, and the fertility, again, has nothing to do with your ability to conceive. I mean, it has something to do with it, but what I mean to say is that fertility is important whether you wanna have children or not, because it's really about your health and one of the greatest ways to measure that is your libido. Like the easiest, simplest way without having to go to a laboratory is you ask yourself, what is your libido like? And I'm going to leave it to you for further investigation and questions from me rather than going all into it. Yeah, I love that. And I agree. I think that coming back to the Ayurvedic principles and like the the way that the Vedas had this wisdom is that's supposed to be dynamic by nature. So we're meant to dance with it, given the relevant times. But yes, come back to, but what are the parts of it that don't ever change? And that's the parts that that are dynamic and can be malleable. So I love that you said that. I think that is so important. And I love that you also brought up the point that women, it's not just for women who want to conceive, that fertility is the birth of a new idea. Fertility is that creative energy life force that we all have within us. And we're actually seeing that being stunted. I mean, if you just look at our culture in the Americas right now of like how women's voices have been muted for so long and how their creative ideas haven't been put into this earth, that's a fertility issue as well. That is one of the problems that we're, we're suffering right now. So before we get and get into this whole epidemic almost of women and fertility, I'd love to hear from your personal experience, what has been your connection with this sacral chakra energy and libido? Right. And I will tell you, right. Uh, so Angelica, there are like a couple of conversations around this, right? One is about that whole sacral chakra and the release of fluids from that, the blockages that happen. And there's another conversation, which I think has not been had and which is one of, which is a conversation that um, has been inferred by me. And I think it makes, you know, I feel like that idea has been pretty bang on from what I can tell, right? Which is what determines fertility. And we can get that, we can get into that after this, right? What, what determines libido? What determines fertility? Why is there a lack? Now coming to the sacral chakra and the blockages, right? I think actually it kind of again goes back to that because I'm going to ask you a question in return to kind of highlight my point, both of you, right? When you look at fertile land, just let's just forget a woman. When you look at fertile land and you just, now you, you like, let's not, you have nothing to do with gardening. You're not a botanist. You just go, you go buy a piece of land and you want to test for its fertility. What is the one thing that you, a couple of things that you're going to look at when you see the soil? Mm, it's going to be moist. It'll probably have like an earthly smell. Um, and if you really want to test it, I would probably plant something and see if it grows. Right. But the first word that you said was moist, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's comedians who joke about this concept where they say, hey, a woman is, I'm, I'm going to just say it like warm and moist. <laughs> and that, uh, that's, that's how our reproductive fluids are. And this takes us back to the most fundamental concept of Ayurveda, which is the essential. We are warm and moist beings. That's what it takes to create fertility. 
The moisture keeps things moving. The warmth disintegrates anything that's stuck at the same time, uh, creates for life, creates, you know, creates, a, creates an environment for transformation. Warm and moist is what creates the lack of warm and moist. And, and we are, you know, this is basically, that's my always, I always keep back, going back to this concept and, um, and the lack of warmth and moisture in your lifestyle, in your mindset, in your diet often leads to that kind of dry desert, like body and mind. Also that can lead then prevent flow, create blockages in your sacral chakra, makes you hold on to thing, things. Anything that's warm and moist just flows. Anything that's not will stay stagnant. And as, as a species in our generation, wow, there is a lot of experience that we have with, with that fear, with that shame, with that guilt, and all of that. And we can, we can talk a little bit more about that in the ending as well, the feminine, the masculine energies and how I've started interpreting them and how they create blockages in our own mind. But between these two, right, the misunderstanding of the feminine and masculine energies and how we can use them both and B, the creation of this environment, which is warm and moist and the retention of this environment, which is warm and moist. I feel like with these two concepts, we can significantly prevent you know, the lack of libido, the lack of fertility, the lack of health, we can prevent that. And we can create an environment which fosters better relationships with others and self, as well as lead up to everything that builds up to libido. I think your libido is your ultimate, ultimate test for how ready are you to be a in a relationship with others and yourself and to create. And I think that's what we are here for. We are here on this planet, on earth, to connect and to create. And your libido tells you that. And we can go into more of the reasons why we as women, as a whole generation, women, men, we all dry out excessively. And why that I have a question just to set the stage. So can you describe, and I think this is going to be different for every single human being, but like, what is a healthy libido? Like if someone wants to check, like, where am I on the scale? Cause I think this is something sometimes we're so disconnected from. We don't even know what actually feels healthy and right in our own body. So can you kind of lay that out for us? Right. Right. So of course, in terms of you, when you talk about frequency, it could be different. There could be somebody who has you know, if, if you're, for example, if you're kafa in your body, which means you're already like a nourished or, you know, building person, you could, you could want to, you know, your libido could be active every day of the week. If you're pitta, then it's systematically active. If you're vata, then it's a little bit harder because vatas are dry. Again, you're away from the dryness, like you're, you're away from the moisture. So you're drier, right? So that being said, it's different, but basically when you're in the company of an appropriate partner and uh, there is exchange of energy involved and if you cannot uh, feel the arousal there is a problem there are certain seasons which are more conducive the winter for example is a better time you are you naturally would have a higher libido in the winter so if the libido is suffering in a real summer month it's not so much of a concern but as the time gets cooler you want to experience better libido right? So it's the experience that you have in the company of somebody that you share chemistry with and you exchange energy, whether it's through touch, through conversation, through smell, through any of your sensory organs. And where does that take you? 
And I want to explore your thoughts on that a little bit, something you just said. So, and I think women sometimes have this idea that like, I feel like for men, it's like they can be instantly aroused. So it's like, oh, they're in the presence of their partner. They're ready. Let's go. For women, there are a lot of other factors at play. So can you talk about that too? It's amazing that how the text said that, right? So the text said, right, that the, the, I'm, I'm trying to recall the Sanskrit name for it because it's not the Shukra Dhatu, the Shukra, actually, the Shukra, the Shukra of the, of the, the female, which is not just all your reproductive fluids, but you're basically the ejaculate of the man resides in his groins in that, in that neighborhood. But for a woman, it actually resides in her heart. And it's like ghee, when it can be truly, when there's true passion, you know, just as a ghee, just as ghee melts and just spreads and crawls everywhere. So the ghee can be in its condensed form. These are the exact words used in the ancient scriptures, just as ghee melts, beautifully spreads its presence everywhere, you know, smears. Similarly, when a woman feels true passion, that shukradhatu can then make its way into the entire body and really light up a woman. So when it says that, what it really means is that our hearts have to be involved. Anatomically, we are designed for our hearts to be involved. We have a different chemical reaction. When a man, um, so so when, when you have actual intercourse, there is a vata aggravation, there is movement and there is vata aggravation, but a woman becomes ready to receive. Her body changes differently. The mechanics of her body change differently. And for a man, he gets ready to give. And of course, they reach a moment of perfect union for that, you know, those few moments, right, where they kind of lose their body, they lose their sense of identity, and they merge. And then the woman becomes a receiver, and the man becomes a giver in its physical, in the physical understanding of the process. And uh, uh, because of that, because of that ability to receive, a woman's body needs to be ready differently from a man's body. So it is anatomically a different, physiologically a different process for a man and a woman. And uh, and how they interact and how they engage in this process is also very different. Unfortunately, we have become very dry. We have, it's universally become difficult for us to receive. You know, I, I, like I often say, we start out in adolescence, we start out as grapes, sort of plump like you know everybody has nice collagen supple skin and then we end up as raisins and the journey from the grape to the raisin is the journey that you need to kind of stretch as long as you can protecting those fluid elements and as long as we can do that and we can keep that alive and keep our senses engaged in the right manner in the world you're protecting your youth your fertility and your health and a lot of what we do goes away from that And thinking from the physiological standpoint first, so you mentioned that libido is translated to shukra, which is the last tissue of the body. So for our listeners, we talked about this on the podcast, but there are seven tissues of the body. They're called datus in Ayurveda, where we are able to digest not only just our food, but our emotions and everything. And so our health, and we can relate to certain imbalances that we have to certain tissues of the body. Now, it's interesting that the product of all the health of all these tissues of the body is shukra is this libido that happens in the seventh tissue. So from this perspective, do you think that there is any specific tissue, like any of the first six that may be involved in a lot of these imbalances with fertility? 
So I'll tell you, okay, firstly, um, uh, you know, Anjalka, the way I think I would like to also put it is that the libido is not the shukra, but the ejaculate is the shukra, which is the result of the libido. Ejaculate is the is the shukra. When you talk about all the fluid tissues, right? So there's some fluid like the rasa, the first, the plasma, the lymph. That's that's again liquid, and that the essential, the first nourishment goes to your rasa. So how does how is your rasa nourished? And rasa and rakta, which is roughly translated to your blood tissue, right? Now these flow throughout your body. They actually nourish all the other tissues as well, right? So, and they're they're liquid tissues, essentially. So the health of these two uh, are very, very important. Not so much, I would say, mamsa, but again, meda has a more little bit of that liquid quality to it, right? Again, when you come to majja, which is like your sclera and your nervous tissue, all of that, that has a very subtle aspect. So everything, that's why, unless that fluid, that essential soma, that fluid is nourishing every aspect of your your body, every single tissue, it cannot make its well way towards the shukra. And that's the reason why it's so much, it's so important. It's not just something that you do and you know it's it's done easily. It needs to be nourished really, really well. We need to replenish that moisture within us constantly and consistently. So on a physical level, what are some ways that we could start to do that and then eventually get into the place where like energetically, what can we do to work with some of the things that are going on in our life that might be blocking some of that flow, that moisture? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, of course, I think, you know, um, there's a psychosomatic aspect to it. So once I'll say in terms of what you can do physically, right, of course, I would say including good fats in your food, also including ghee and milk for those who are not, you know, who are not completely plant-based, I would say, because ghee and milk, like A2 milk, A2 grass-fed cows, organic milk, really goes back and replenishes those tissues. Ghee is called you know, it's jivanya. It really supports life. It supports the basic function of life, the reproduction of life. So ghee and milk, abhyanga, massages, right? And uh, overall inclusion of good fats in terms of when it comes to your food, that's very important not to choose what not to choose, right? Not to choose dry foods, not to choose diet foods, not to choose skimmed milk, anything that's too dry or too heating or too cold, they're all going to create stagnation blockages, really kill that fluid element in your body. Even in terms of lifestyle, right? Grounding practices, meditation, breath work, enough sleep, meeting your friends, walking in nature. These are all warming. They're warming to the soul, you know? And I feel like I tell people, you don't have to even look at what's warming. When you meet a warm person, you know, it's a warm person. You feel it, you know, there's no, and nobody has ever had to explain, hey, what's the meaning of a warm person? I've never heard that. Everybody knows because we, we really, we crave warmth as human beings. And um, so just think, when you think about what are warming practices uh, and, and this grounding, loving practices, moist, moist practices, which is all of this, like I said, sleep, abhyanga, breath work, meditation, they all release certain neurotransmitters and chemicals in your body, which are more fluid, which are more loving, which are more gentle. When you look at it from the psychiatry point of view, you really, you know, all of those are more calming hormones and neurotransmitters. Late nights, stressed, being extremely stressed out, being booked to the point of having no time, no, you know, all of those things, the current lifestyle, which doesn't allow for any kind of rest, time off, peace, all of that, right, 
can create this dryness in us that exists. So then going for the reverse practices is definitely, of course, again, this comes to herbs. There is overuse, misuse of things like kombucha, apple cider vinegar, uh, you know, chilies, peppers, all of those things. Again, there's an overuse for that. But there are herbs uh, like shatavari, like uh, licorice, all of those, those are warm, those are cool, those are moist, really, really moist in their essence, so that they can go and support this. So I think overall, just slowing down, right, slowing down, consuming these nourishing moist foods at a warm temperature, really go a really, really long way to preserve the fluids in your body. And then abhyanga, of course. And now that I'm thinking about like the energetics of libido, maybe this is like a dramatized version from movies, but like, I, I always picture a little bit of the fire element and the passion. So like, how does fire play into this? Cause we know that fire is heating and it's drying, but like, does there need to be a part of that in working and increasing the libido? Do we need that in the energetics of the passion or like in the physiological stuff? Like, where does that come into play? Absolutely. And you know, that fire is set for a woman for a woman, that fire is secondary to the water. Because if you just have fire, you're going to just be, you're, you're, you're going to be angry. You're going to be an angry woman, just a snappy woman, right? Because the, the softer elements, it's that fire. When I said in the beginning, that, that passion that melts the shukra in the heart, you know, that is that little, that gentle fire that is required. So yes, that warmth is absolutely a part of it. But I would say it's that gentle infusion of warmth into your mind, into your body, into all of it. When, you know, when you look at the energies in the universe, the Shiv and the Shakti, right? It's called the Shiv and the Shakti. The Shiv is, is related to the fire aspect of it, the masculine aspect of it. The Shakti is the female aspect of it, which is represented by water, by Soma, with, by the softer elements. And together they come. And it's, it's the passion from the, mind, from the man, you know, in, a, in, a, in an energetic sense, that passion that evokes the passion in the female body. And when you said a man gets aroused so quickly, it's because he has to provide that passion to the woman as well. Of course, we've evolved as a species. We've, we've changed and we are able to and it's important it's just it's just natural course of evolution where because our own masculine you know for a whole generation uh, our our masculine was subsided and it's kind of come up uh, now right so there are times that we're able to self-infuse our passion but for a true union to happen you know it's the feminine and the masculine energy new which merges with this feminine and masculine energy in in a male partner and when you can have that accurate balance and do it right that's when there's equal passion on both sides and there's a true union at a cosmic level. Do you think that culturally how women are using sex and their own sexual energy plays a role in this epidemic of infertility? And I guess I'm referring more closely to um, like casual sex or actually being truly attracted to that person and partner. Do you think that being really intelligent about the way that we use our sexual energy can play into this. You're so right. And it's hundred percent true. Right. I think because it's such a, uh, it's a preserved dhatu. It's a, it's a treasured tissue in our body and, and more so for, for women, right. For a man, he's able to produce shukra more easily in his body than a woman is able to her body. And that's why, like in the, the Vedas, they say the man will plant his seed anywhere, right? And a woman, but but it'll only grow in a place where it's fertile, 
right? And it's really, so for us to preserve that, to preserve the nature of, uh, of those tissues, I think it's just, it's not, it's not cultural. It's not about a stigma. It's just a sacred responsibility to our body, you know, as well as, um, you know, intercourse, right? Like a true union, again, comes from the heart and the mind and the body and the soul for a woman, according to the Vedas. And I think as we've all experienced that at some time, that you know, intercourse with uh, with somebody that you truly feel connected with is feels a little different. It's, it's a little bit more meaningful. Um, and of course, we're all free to experiment in the ways we think are right. But I just think it's, it's a great point that you brought up, that understanding the sacredness keeping away the stigmas, but understanding the sacred nature of this essential tissue that we carry in our own bodies is extremely useful. And to just be, I think just to even think that the man just has to plant the seed, like it's no work. We are the ones who nourish the seed and we have that ability to do so, to keep that soil fertile, to keep that internal environment fertile is, uh, is, is, is again, uh, it's, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge responsibility. So I think you're absolutely right about the way we do, we conduct ourselves in our sexual encounters. Yeah. And I think it's just that extra piece of making it conscious of just having that intention behind it of, is this a person that like, I do want to have this sacred union with, and it's not to shame any woman for making any decisions that she makes about her body, but just having that extra bit of intentionality, I think can make a huge difference. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's that consciousness. And sometimes even if, if even just when we keep the person out of it, even it's just when I am engaging in this, right? How present am I? right? Whether it's with your spouse, your partner, or somebody you've just met, but how, well, how much of myself am I bringing into this practice? How much am I? And I feel like that when you talk about tantric practices and you talk about that, it is that practice of losing your physical state to merge with another. And I think as, you know, as, um, active, if as, as, as anybody who's sexually active, this is a consciousness that needs to be kept. And usually how, you know, the one thing that I encourage people to do is just exhale and practice relaxing their body in the process. And instantly, you know, things begin to flow and you lose and you lose uh, that chatter that happens in the mind. You're just truly, it's actually your body is designed to go in trance very quickly during intercourse when you're actually able to do that, because it's designed, it's a time that's ripe to go into trance. And we all need to practice trance away from the substances. I think practicing trance and training your brain to go into trance is hugely beneficial when it comes to manifestation and understanding the transience of the world around you. And the reason why we are as human beings, this was introduced in the practice, right? So we are designed according to the Vedas that why, why do we experience trance first in a sexual activity is that when a, when a human being is born and suddenly your senses all open up. So the baby can't connect to anything but the mother. And it's just, I want to nurse and cuddle, that's it. And then suddenly the eyes are working, ears are working, nose, mouth, and the world becomes this wondrous place. And we become, and we start engaging in the world through our senses. And then we had adolescence. And then you, the ultimate experience is is intercourse. It's the ultimate experience of the world, right? That's how it was designed. And in that ultimate experience, you experience a moment of trance. And in that moment of trance, when you lose your identity and you have a heightened state, there is a knowing, oh, there is a state beyond this where I can lose myself and get in touch with the universe. 
And through this practice, eventually, right, the goal is to reach enlightenment, not always using sex, but sex is just where it begins to give you a glimpse into what is possible when you really then start balancing your own feminine and masculine and get those to merge. So at a worldly level, you experience it temporarily with another man. And then when you start doing the yoga and the breath work and the other practices, you experience that same union within you. And that's when you go to another dimension. Yeah, I find that so interesting that the sacral chakra almost acts as a portal to that because it seems like, oh, it's only the second chakra, but we have this great opportunity to completely merge with the other and go into this different state of consciousness. And that makes me think like, do we think, can we have that same portal and the third and the fourth and the fifth chakras too, and that greater potential for expansion that maybe we haven't tapped into yet? Hundred percent. I mean, that's it's only it only begins in the Swadeshthan in the sacral chakra, right? So the stirring, the the base chakra is the most grossest chakra, the grossest emotions. It's the hardest to stir. All of our you know fear, shame, guilt, all of that is stored in the the base, absolute base, right? So even when people talk about hip shaking practices, it's to kind of kind of at some point get get those things to stir up, you know, in one way or the other. And then that can trigger again the Swadishtan, the, the sacral chakra, the second chakra. And when these two chakras have enough energy release and the energy is kind of left loose, and when you've done the right practices, they automatically transcend. Then there's a transcendence that happens and it, it gets stuck in your heart. And then when you're in your heart, you experience all heart opening experiences in the world. And then you keep practicing, then it goes into high, it goes into your pineal gland. And then you experience mystical, you know, mysticism, see things you connect to an outer verse. And then from that place, there's potential to transcend even further. But I find it just amazing that how it's all designed for all the work that you have to do, you know, fighting with your inner demons, then feeling the passion in your third chakra, then having real heart opening experiences, which is only possible once you've worked in your on your triggers, which are on the lowest chakra, right? And then from there, you can experience really life-changing realities. So you alluded to the mind chatter a little bit earlier, and I kind of want to dive into that because like, let's say on a physical level, you're doing the abhyanga, you're eating all the ghee, you're feeling good. But then as soon as you go to like be in that experience with someone, the negative thoughts take over. It's like, oh my gosh, do I look sexy? Am I doing the right thing? Like, what is he thinking? What am I thinking? Like, how, how is that blocking things and how do we overcome all of that? Right. And you're absolutely right. Right. Um, Rachel, and I feel that's why the, the work that happens in the Muladhara, in the base chakra, even before the sacral chakra, really frees up the, the, the sacral chakra as well, right? Mm. So um, the Muladhara is where all of this, this these, these stories are kept, the shame, the fear, the guilt, I'm not good enough, I'm not this. I feel like a constant work of self-awareness and working on yourself before this and after the process of the intercourse uh, is, of course, and I think, of course, meditative practices help as well. At the same time, right? Now, when you are actually experiencing exhales, when you're actually focusing on breathing from the back of your head into your throat, into your back of your head, and you're exhaling and you're relaxing your body at the same time, it is actually not possible for the chatter to continue in the same way. I would say in the first 10, 12 breaths, 
yes, you may still experience chatter, but you don't actually know and you've gone into a trance. And with the pheromones of your partner, right? When you experience, and when you engage all your senses. So what I engage, what I encourage people to do is close your eyes, smell, you know, to inhale what you can inhale because your body is designed to, re- pheromones will also put you in the trance, right? Experience the touch and focus on your breath. That's all the capacity that you have to do. If you're, if you're nasal, your olfactory sense is engaged. And your touch is, and you're focusing on your touch and you're focusing on your breath and you quickly relax your body when you do that. It is almost impossible, right? And also, I, I actually want to say one thing, and I, I think all women should know that. So the way we are designed, actually, is that this, the visual sense actually takes the backseat when you're in intercourse. The other senses take over. So you actually don't notice things that you, you actually don't notice gross realities, physical gross realities. You just, you may miss them. You may completely miss uh, certain aspects, you know, whether it's sometimes bodily hair, you just don't. Because if you're so present in the process, and sometimes actually men find it easier to be present in the process than women do. And you're so present in the process. And and you also have the power to play into the energetics of the other person. The more present you are, the more present they are. The more present they are, the more present you can be. And when you do that, there there is this whole thing of how am I looking does not even matter. It's not even noticed because we are designed for that sense, for the sense, the visual sense to just be like, shutting off it's so deeply connected to this part of your brain that puts you in a trance and that's why sometimes when people are even drugged you see their eyes like all go you know like i i can't see it's the first thing the the blurred vision is the first thing and that's exactly i mean that is the experience that sex is supposed to bring you done done that way it's it's just so much easier i feel like there is no reason you never have to read kama sutra you never have to you just have to go back into your own inner in a reality and allow your senses to have this heightened experience. Mm, I love that. Always coming back to the the five senses, which is amazing. And I feel like so doable for people listening and for also for those listening. So we've talked a lot about libido and sex and those types of things. Can we connect the dots on that and fertility? So say someone's listening is wanting to get pregnant and they're like, okay, I don't care about any of this. Like I have a goal and that goal is a baby. Like, (laughs) can we, can we, take that leap and kind of connect those two. Got it. Perfect. Right. So this, these are the few things that I'll tell the person. Okay. First already make sure that your body is kept moist and warm. And now what does that mean? Start by just giving yourself a loving massage, allowing and feel the touch when you do right. When you use oil on your body, it's called sneha, which means love, feel that self-love start there. Can do make sure your foods have good fat in them. Right. Of course, you want to be exercising and you want to be consuming everything that's warm and cooked. Those are important parts, aspects as well. But start making sure that your foods are cooked by you in a loving manner. It's a project for you. You want to get pregnant. Give yourself six months and do all of these things. Right. So I would say uh, you start consuming foods with good fats, freshly cooked exercise. Right. So you're already starting to bring in some moist elements into your body. Slow down slow down to experience the finer things of life, you know, whether it's music, whether it's aromatherapy, like heighten your senses in ways which are, of course, you eventually want to get to, you know, feeling heightened experiences when you are in intercourse, but you start out of that, out of the bedroom as well, you know, start experiencing finer things to your senses. Uh, Take a break, I would say meditate, sleep well. Right. And visualization, again, I think is, is, is actually is also a very moist practice. People actually sometimes when they're visualizing, they start crying and they're like, I'm not even sad. 
because it really releases that kind of moisture in your body. So I think when you do all of this and you do all of this in combination and you give yourself a few months and you start engaging truly with your senses. And, and I, then I often tell people, right, when you've been able to do all of this and they automatically feel good about themselves, they're like, why didn't I do this before? Why didn't I do this abhyanga and slow down and just use my senses differently? Then I say, start getting into your feminine, actually start getting into your feminine, right? Which is surrender, which is curious, which is creative, which which listens more than asks because curiosity is our, is our strength. Investigation makes it a little harsher. And um, when you get in touch with yourself that way, you automatically become this ready to receive. Fertility has a lot to do with, are you really ready to receive? And when you kind of do some of these practices, of course, there may be some technical blockages and all of that, which herbs, et cetera, can help. But if you're just planning to have a baby and you want to create that right environment, I would say these are like great places to start. And then you and then you'll automatically see as as you start feeling getting into your feminine, feeling sexy, which is important. Feeling sexy is a very important aspect of it. Uh, allowing yourself to feel sexy, to feel the flow, you know, you'll you'll engage differently with your partner. And then you'll see your libido. Your libido will tell you how, where are you? Where where do you stand in this? So look at your libido as a cue. And then I think things will flow and happen. And I really like how you left that up to women following their intuition and picking and choosing where to start, because I think that is the most important part is that so often women want to outsource their intuition, which is our greatest superpower, when really it's all about coming back to trusting all this knowledge and wisdom that we have within us. And of course, Arvid is a science that supports that because it tells us all the tools and techniques that we want to support our intuition. And I think that's why it's so cool right now too, that for example, it's really popular for a woman to follow the moon and study what astrological sign it's in because the moon represents our mind and our emotions and our divine feminine self. And I think that's so cool that like, Oh, like women are like, it's so silly. I'm like into the moon right now. And I think that's just showing us that culturally we're moving in a way where the divine feminine is rising in that way. So we're also interested in things that are the unseen, like seeing angel numbers or, oh my gosh, I knew that friend was going to call me before they called me and those type of things. So whatever your curiosity is of where you're leaning into your intuition, trust it. And then that'll open up the doorway of what your next steps will be. But at first you have to start engaging with that intuition and flexing that muscle first. Hundred percent, and you know it's one of those muscles where the results are actually exponential. It's not like oh, I've done this exercise for such a long time that it doesn't even work anymore. It's the opposite. It's like mm-hmm. it was. It took me a long time to get here, but once I've gotten there, I like have mastered this, right? So you become a master manifester without even meaning to manifest anything. And again, I love that you brought up the moon. I just want to highlight, right? So the moon is associated, like you said, with the divine feminine, with the fluids, with the soma. Like when the moon is high, we know the tides, the tide there's high tide because of the moon so that's a representation of that moon actually the moon actually affects all the fluids in the in the in the body and for a female body that's especially relevant because whether it's our periods our reproductive fluids our shukra dhatu the moon is that representation of us uh, of the of the fluids on the planet and most of the woman because the woman is that fluid dominant and i think like this is actually literally the movement that i'm trying to bring about is that come back to being fluid you know like, hey, woman, 
let's go back to being fluid because this is our biggest strength and it doesn't take away from anything that we want to do on planet today right i mean it's it's i think it's a pretty unique strength i mean men can unfortunately never replicate it you know uh, we can do a lot we can do everything that a man can do but like this is this is great and we've actually dropped it we've dropped this we've gotten so much more into our masculine side and control and just power and ego and aggression that we've lost this yeah and i think that's also just indicative of when we get our menstrual cycle and just that perspective shift i mean even my friends i talk with and they're like I mean, how crazy is this that we have to bleed every month and it causes us so much pain and so much and it's seen as a burden when really it is our greatest superpower when we can heal all those other menstrual irregularities and really be in the flow of the rhythms of the moon, which coincide with our own internal rhythms. It's amazing. We can experience all these different moods. It's honestly incredible because in the beginning of the month, it's when you have this creative energy and it's a lot of the kappa. And then when you're in the middle and then you have this pitta energy, it's like, all right, so going to get shit done. And then we go into the vata where it's like grounding. And I've created now this space in my calendar to just rest and then receive intuitive messages and like feel really at home in my body and connected. Men don't have that, those, those rhythms. So that's another practical tool that we love okay. using with our women is just teaching them how to understand the rhythms of their own inner moon cycle and energetically, physically plan your life around that. I love that. That's so, that's so cool. That's so cool. I'm just like, if, if I was a man, I'd be jealous of a woman. Just <laughs> you have all of these, you know, it keeps us in, you know, and then I also say, right, like people are like, oh my God, you're volatile. I was like, as women, because we feel experience so many different things over the month. And I'm like, hello, what makes us volatile also makes us adaptable, you know? Because we are yes. going through changes all the time. We feel them and we move on like this. So like, don't judge our volatility because it really brings our adaptability. And this is something we've been talking about lately and you brought it up, which is like, for me, what feminism, feminism used to be was like, could, could I be more like a man? Could I push? Could I not rest? Could I put myself to this point of exhaustion trying to get to the same place that they were? And recently I'm starting to really take another look at that perspective and understand that females are also, and the feminine is also really powerful, but it's like this, this raw power, this like power in being this power in the creativity and things that like, as a culture, we haven't placed enough, in my opinion, value on, but I think more people are starting to feel that same way. And we're waking up to that. So what are your thoughts around that? And do you feel like in your sphere of community, people are feeling the same way and realizing that this feminine power is a superpower? Yeah, in fact, I was actually, you know, I'm actually giving a TED talk this, like a TEDx this Friday. And, I'm, and that's my topic. Oh actually, my God, amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> I still on the same weekend. I'm at the same weekend. You know, I'm glad we had this conversation because it's exactly that, right? Like, I feel like we've, like in the India that I grew up, it was said that the women were expected to be completely in their feminine and they lost, they felt powerless. The, the, the female was supposed to only be in her feminine and she felt powerless by the time she was in her 50s, 40s, 50s. And she felt like she had just surrendered to the point that she had given up everything that she was, right? And, and the man was encouraged to just be in his masculine, and which was just always be aggressive, never feel an emotion, never cry. And then there was a disconnect between the man and the woman and things were happening. Though the female was, the female was connecting with family members, the man was making money, but there was 
there was that union didn't happen the way it does. Then we changed roles completely. Then we went on the other direction. Feminism was not about the feminine. It was say, hey, you've taken away our masculine for too long. Let us bring it back. And then I see with a lot of women that I work with when they're in their 30s and, you know, they're longing, they're craving a partner, but they're like, they don't know how to call upon their feminine. They've just been in the successful lawyers, successful bankers, all of that. But they've the whole essence of the feminine side, right? Like when you become a mother, those hormones are the highest in your body. And it's it's about dealing with unpredictability. The baby can poop anytime, can wake up anytime. And the mother is still is nursing away. There's a flow. It's being in flow, being feminine in that water is being in flow. And we kind of have lost that in overly structured, high achieving world. So you're absolutely right that people around me and people that I work with, especially Rachel, have been like, hey, and they can't, they've been so much in their masculine. And when they, they want a relationship, but if you're in your masculine and the man is in his masculine and such women often only want men in their masculine dominant energies, you could be with a man with feminine dominant and that would work. But if you want to be, be with a man who's in his masculine dominant or with any partner with masculine dominant, masculine and masculine is battlefield, it's war. But I feel if we learn when to call into our feminine, like when I say, when I'm with my children, when I'm listening to their sad story, I got to be in my feminine. When I have to ask them to go to bed, I can be a little bit more in my masculine, right? But to understand how we can use, hone and use both of them. And, you know, we'll, that we don't have to bring our masculine to our friendships. You know, you go out, you pick a restaurant. I don't care. I'm going to flow with you. You know, but I'm in my work. I set my boundaries and this is what I need. So like the whole game of understanding, right? From one end, we've come to the other end. But if we find balance, as you say, we have been noticing. And then we learn to call upon these energies as per our own will, when we want to. I feel like it'll be, we'll have the best relationships and we'll have the most successful careers. Yeah. And culturally, I feel like we've just kind of shamed and like suppressed the the jobs that are more like, the stay-at-home mother, like that nurturing side of us. And finally we're like, wait, actually we can have those things and call in the masculine when we need it to get the shit done that we want to get done, to have the goals in our work and in our lives that we want to have. And like all of that's okay. And learning to find that balance, which I think will translate really nicely to the physicality of making sure that our libido is healthy and our fertility is healthy. So I feel like it's very full circle. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they all come together and they, they all comes together really beautifully. And um, the more I have these conversations, the more I understand that we are a blessed species. Being a woman has unlimited capabilities. Now, I just wish for all of us to really tap back into our feminine as well so we can go, you know, have the best relationships and have the masculine to know our boundaries and uh, and to be able to ground ourselves in those great relationships we find. Otherwise, I'd say we'd either just become complete gypsies and hippies or we become complete monks to be to find something in between. It's amazing. Awesome. Well, this has been such a fun and enlightening conversation. I'm so happy we had it today and I can't wait to hear more from you in your TEDx talk. That's so exciting. Um, and I think you have something new or maybe you're just talking more about this topic in the upcoming year when I believe this episode will be live. So can you share with us maybe the beginnings of that project or kind of where you're heading in the direction of supporting people with these crucial topics? Yeah, I basically, uh, you know, one of the newer programs that I'm offering next year, I don't know if that's what you're talking about, is there's a couple of programs that I am offering in 2022. And one of them is learning how to read the scriptures. So I'm offering Ashtang Rudayam 
you know, five chapters and five chapters. And, you know, the reason why I like reading this, teaching how to read the scriptures is because it's not, yes, there's a verbatim translation, uh, but also like I, I go into like, how do you interpret this? Like, how do you bring in your own intelligence to this statement that you read? And just that experience should again translate into awakening of an intuition. So if it was just like, hey, let's read, let's open a textbook and let's read it. I mean, it offers me nothing, but how do you go deeper? How do you swim in this? And how do you immerse yourself in this? So again, and I think all of those, again, are, are just practices that awaken the divine feminine. And because they come from a structured place, it's, you also bring in the masculine. You know, so it's again learning to dance with these two energies. That is one program. Also, um, another program that I'm designing right now is is changing your relationship with food. I feel like we always talk about it, we always do it, but to have a, I, I want to do a whole program around it where you can enroll and work with me in a group so you change your relationship with food, which I think solves everything. That's yeah. the most, you know, because. All the other life processes, breathing, sleeping, they just happen a little bit more mechanically, a little bit more involuntarily. But food is the is the one life essential to life process that we do every day and we can become conscious about it. And to bring consciousness into food is to bring consciousness into life. And basically, it's back to that. These are the new two new programs that you look out for. And I hope if you're listening to this, you look them up and they excite you. Yeah. I'm obsessed with both of those and we'll definitely have them linked in the show notes. And I love the last one about food. And I always say food is like the number one way we show ourselves self-care. It's like that, you know, sustenance, that nourishment. So I think that both of those are just incredibly powerful for both, you know, practitioners as well as just people looking to learn. So we'll definitely have those linked. Thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you on and to converse with you. And thank you so much, Nidhi, for being here. Thank you so much, both of you. It's such a pleasure. I spoke about my favorite topic and I had such a blast. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I hope you love this episode as much as we love recording with it. We love Nidhi's energy. She is so powerful and fiery and also so nurturing and motherly. Has a wealth of knowledge. If you don't already follow her on Instagram, please do. And if you love this episode or have a friend who is suffering from any of these imbalances and is looking to heal in a holistic way, please send it to them. It can really start to expand their healing journey. And if you love this episode and you love this show, please comment, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. That's also our way of connecting with you. We love hearing and connecting on how these stories relate to you because that is the whole purpose of this podcast. So thank you so much for being here and we'll see you next time.